What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Sports Card Madness, the podcast that focuses on sports cards, collectibles, the hobby, and everything else in between. For today's episode, we sat down with Matt from Five Lanes Cards, a new local hobby shop that opened up in Massachusetts. We got into everything with him, what it was like opening the shop, some of the crazy stories about customers, what it's like to get packs and get boxes for inventory and how much it costs and, and what the margins look like. It was very eye-opening for me um, just understanding how the retail operations of a card shop works. And I think uh, it will be for you guys as well. Before we dive in, I've got a big ask for the audience. If you could take a few seconds and go on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and either follow us or subscribe to us, that would be super helpful for the pod. Even leaving us a five-star review would be amazing. This will help keep the podcast coming every Friday. Thanks, everyone. Kick is on the way, and it is good. All right, everyone, welcome to another episode of Sports Card Madness. Today I'm here with LZ, and we also have Matt Lane from Five Lane Sports Cards with us. Welcome to the pod. We're kind of excited to have you on because, you know, we've really wanted to get like a card shop owner on and just kind of talk to you about everything you've been through. I know you're you're a fairly new shop as well, I believe two years. Is that right? Yeah. So we started in May of 2022. So we're about like a year and a half in. Perfect. Yeah. So it'll be kind of cool to get into just what it was like starting this thing and some of the stories that you've, um, I'm sure you've got. So yeah, thanks again for coming on. Yeah, thank you. I, I love I'm, the I'm fact excited. that you guys are a, are a new store, right? A lot of the shops that I go to, you know, they're, they're old school. They've been around since like the 80s. And some cases, it kind of looks like they've been around since the 80s as well. Um, so it, it's great to hear that, uh, you know, you guys are a new shop and it sounds like you're doing well. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it. it's definitely different. I mean, my dad, he used to have like a little card shop, like this was 20 years ago and he, he has boxes and boxes of like the eighties and nineties stuff, which is cool and all, but a lot of the kids these days, all they care about is like Luka Doncic, Patrick Mahomes and Connor Bedard. Like <laughs> anyone who comes in, those are the three names. And I'm like, all right, I'll try to get, I'll do my best to get as many cards as I can for you. Is Luka still that hot actually? Is yeah. He... For some reason, I mean, yeah. we're a Massachusetts store. So mm. the main focus is like Jason Tatum, but Luka uh -huh. Doncic for some reason, just every basketball collector he's the first name that pops up so we just did a fantasy basketball league draft and me and nick were just catching up on kind of who picked who and i picked luca and uh -huh. we went back and forth on like what luca is going to do this year i am I, i'm a, i mean i'm a huge luca fan that's why i drafted him on my team but i'm just yeah that that surprises me it it, it doesn't it doesn't that just how hot he is because um it's it's time for luca to perform is what i'd yeah. say I, you know, I agree. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, it's time for Tatum to perform too, right? We we're hoping he gets to the next level as well. <laughs> yeah. Fingers yeah. crossed on that. Yeah. We, we need a big Tatum year. Another mm -hmm. championship in Boston would be great. Yeah. Yes, it would. So Matt, what, what made you guys want to just start a card shop, you know, a year and a half ago? Yeah. So, I mean, the biggest thing was my dad. So my dad's, he, he he's been a collector for his whole life and he 
has accumulated like Mickey Mantle cards, a Babe Ruth, um, and then just boxes and boxes of cards. And last winter, so this is almost yeah two years ago, um, we fa- he bought a lot of cards, um, seven hundred dollars boxes and boxes. We brought it down to our basement and we put it away for a month or two. And then one day we were kind of going through the boxes and we're like, oh, there's some cool cards in these. And one of the boxes, it was a set. It was called Skybox Metal Universe. And it was from 1997, which is a huge year for that set, which at the time we had no clue what it was. And one of the cards, it was stuck to the back of one. And we peeled it off and it was this green metallic card. And we're like, whoa, this is pretty cool. Like, what is this card? We looked it up. We couldn't find anything on it. Fast forward a week later, we put it up on eBay and one person texted us this huge paragraph about what it was. And it was a precious metal gem. And the player was Sean Springs. He was a D-back for the Seahawks, I believe. And it was his green PMG, which I I believe it's only limited to 10 cards. And so we sold that on eBay, our first sale for $2,000. And we were like, oh, wow. (laughs) <laughs> like this could be cool like sports cards eh, this might be the route to take and there was a couple other cards that we ended up selling and that kind of just got our foot in the door we're like oh my god there's a huge market that we didn't even really know about that's wild so that's that, that's kind of the the gist of what started and then a couple months later we started selling on ebay getting some cards out there and then my dad we had this building that he bought as a commercial investment and there was one unit unrented and it was a closet. It was like the smallest room, like barely any room to really do anything. So basically we like knocked down this wall and we put all the sports cards that he had from over his life of collecting. I started collecting about like 2019. So we just kind of pulled all of our cards together and put it out there as kind of like a last minute project. And it just, it's grown exponentially in the last year and a half. Right. And you guys, you know, you've, it seems like you've done pretty well. You know, I know I've been to the shop a few times and um, you've been busy every time I'm in there. I mean, what has it been like just, just getting customers, you know? Yeah. I mean, it all starts with, I'd say social media. I mean, social media is the best tool. um, And then word of mouth. I mean, my dad always says the best advertising is word of mouth. And we've, we know a lot of people in the area that like have been collectors, but then they would tell their friends, their friends would tell other people. And then it just kind of became this like community almost. And it, our, our old shop, we actually ended up expanding, but the old place, it was kind of more, you come in, you buy stuff and then you leave. And I didn't personally like that. I wanted the shop to be like, you know, you sit down, you hang out, you, watch some football, eat some mm. snacks or whatever. And that's what it ended up becoming. But at the start, it was kind of just like, hey, you come in, we have sports cards, you take a look, buy, sell, trade. But now we've kind of made it into this like community. And that's that's the best part about it. And that community just keeps growing and growing. Yeah, it's a lot more fun that- than uh, somebody coming in saying, you got the stuff. And then, you know, you hand yeah. a box, you hand you cash. <laughs> Instead, yeah. you have sort of a, like a, a more of a fun vibe, people hanging out. Yeah, exactly. And my favorite my favorite quote is, I get it about probably two or three times a week. I get a phone call. Hey, do you buy cards? And it's like, yes, but like 
like say something hey like how's my day going my day's good how's your day going like <laughs> oh that's, <laughs> that's legitimately my... all they say to you like do you yeah. pick up the phone and they say do you buy cards yeah it's my favorite <laughs> quote and I, oh, I i used to joke with uh some of my friends i'm, I'm a hockey player hmm. uh and i would joke and be like I would, i'd be on road trips I'm, I'm in college still so i'd be like oh this guy this guy's gonna say hey do you buy cards and then the <laughs> person would say hey do you buy cards i'm like yeah like <laughs> but there's more to that than just buying cards like come in say right. hi to me ask me how mm. my day is not just be like hey give me some money <laughs> wow that's interesting um yeah. you'd mentioned that the traffic's pretty good in the store um i'm just curious have do you ask people where they're from because i know in in where your shop is located uh it, it's in a it's in a beach town right so it's um is is there seasonal traffic and then secondly does you being in kind of a touristy area actually help with foot traffic you think yeah i mean so we're we're located in plymouth so plymouth obviously is one of the biggest tourist attractions and i would say the country i mean not the biggest but like historically speaking um it's a huge i would say almost tourist trap and so in the summers definitely a lot of foot traffic a lot of people like we had a collector from utah come in um a lot of California people, which is pretty interesting. Nice. Um, some California, like Golden State. I had one guy come in. He's like, "Hey, give me all your Steph Curry cards." And I was like, "Okay, <laughs> I'll get you as many as I can." So the summers are really great for us. Um, and then the other thing too is, I think I kind of touched about it earlier. Is just a lot of people in the Plymouth, and then we're right by Cape Cod, mm -hmm. and Cape Cod is another huge kind of like attraction. Um, so in the summers, people will come up, they go over the bridge and we're the for first card store before like Boston or any other places. So it, it helps a lot. We're right off the highway and someone who goes down to Hyannis or wherever in the Cape, the first place they're going to off when they get off the bridge is Plymouth in our card shop, which definitely is, is a good place to be. Yeah, it was a pleasant surprise for me. So for the audience, I have a, a beach house in the town where this card shop is. And I was like, wow, you got to be kidding me. A card shop opened like, you know, one mile <laughs> from my property. So it's it's been pretty cool to um to pop by in the summer. Yeah, I thought it was so funny when we first uh, started interacting was, oh, I have a beach house right on Whitehorse Beach. I'm like, that's like maybe a quarter mile from the shop. Like, oh, yeah. Wow. <laughs> I always get ice cream yeah. uh, nearby. So it's funny. Um, oh yeah, Cushcone. It's right next door. Right. Best ice cream in, in Plymouth. <laughs> so Matt, you mentioned that um, there were some, I guess you put it nicely, trials and tribulations to uh, to get in this shop up and running. What's some of the the more painful stuff that you went through, or like the craziest story you can think of? I mean, off the top of my head, the first thing that we kind of did not know when we first started, like opening the shop was unlicensed cards. And I tell you what, my first big purchase, like when we first started the store, we didn't have any customers. We didn't know what we were really doing. So I bought like three cases of Donruss baseball, Diamond Kings baseball. And then what was the other thing? Um, draft picks, basketball. And for many of the listeners who don't know, unlicensed cards, they don't have the logos of the teams on the players. So if you get a Shohei Otani card, it's Shohei, but he's just like in a blank uniform, which we didn't know it 
till like I would say maybe a month or two in we're like hey why aren't these people like interested in these boxes like we just spent like five thousand dollars on a couple cases and next thing you know my dad was like hey why does this card not have a logo on it and you show me I think it was an Aaron Judge card I was like whoa like what is up with that and so we did our research and we're like wait this is actually a thing where Panini they don't put logos on the cards because they don't have the official license with the MLB. So that right off the bat, we were, we spent a lot of money on, on the uh, unlicensed products and it took us a while to move those. Let me tell you, um, that was kind of the first trial where we kind of had to overcome it and we ended up selling the boxes, but it was something like we were kind of grinding our teeth every time we were trying to sell these boxes. Cause people were like, Oh, like it's unlicensed. Nah, no thanks. I've made that mistake with a single card. I had a uh, Trey Young flawless, uh, but I made the mistake of getting it with his college uniform on because his college uniform looks a lot like the Hawks uniform. Mm -hmm. Same colors. I think it was Oklahoma State. And um, I kind of bought it quickly at a card show thinking it was a good deal. Got home Mm -hmm. and I was like, oh, so, you know, it gets the best of us. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, like, don't get me wrong. Like, I think the cards are are pretty cool. Panini does a good job, but for a lot of collectors, they just kind of steer away um, from that, the baseball items and then the draft picks just because it's not in their regular uniforms. Um, and then the other, one of the other funny things is memorabilia. So we started, we started as sports cards, memorabilia, and then we were going to do a little bit of Pokemon. Pokemon ended up growing incredibly. Like I have hundreds of cost- Pokemon customers. They all come in buy sell trade but memorabilia that's a weird i don't want to say weird but it was tricky at the start because we bought a lot of autographs like tom brady julian edelman mac jones which tough buy (laughs) but we we bought a lot of this stuff thinking oh we'd sell a lot of pictures like uh game use pucks balls but i'd say in my year and a half to two years that we've been open, I think I've sold only three memorabilia items. And that was after buying like 20 or 30 when we first started. So maybe it's more me, I have to market it better or maybe do more with it. But that was the one thing I just kind of, I'm still struggling to be like, oh, wow, like this stuff just doesn't really move. And I, I don't know, maybe it's just my area, my market, my demographics, where we are, but that was another thing. It was, it's been tough trying to move those type of items. And these are certified authenticated items. And oh yeah. Still not we, selling. Yeah. So like we, we have, my dad was really close with um his, I forget his name, but they're called sure shot promotions. Um, they do the Shriner show. They oh, like yeah. sponsor it or like run it. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're awesome. We get all of our memorabilia from them, but for some reason, like all of it's certified, but like, it just doesn't move. And I don't know, maybe that's the error we're in. Um, I like, I have numerous, like Charlie McAvoy signed pucks, like Edelman balls, Gronk signed uh, footballs, helmets. It just doesn't really move. It's, it, it's weird. Interesting. Yeah. Mm. Um, what about, I'm just curious, like you mentioned, you got like, you get like weird phone calls, like, you know, do you buy cards? Do you, do you have any interesting stories of customers who have come in and maybe had like outrageous asks or like um, anything that stands out from a customer story? I mean, the 
the biggest thing I've had, I've had a couple, like one customer came in one time with, they were like error cards from, I want to say the eighties, I forget what year. And he came in and he's like, Hey, like I have all these error cards. It's a bunch of them. I think the backs of them like weren't printed on. So they, yeah, they were error cards, but I'm like, I don't know how I would really sell them. And he, we talked over it on the phone. I was like, Hey, you can bring them in. We'll kind of take a look at them and I'll do my best to point you in the right direction. And he came into the shop and he was like, Hey, like, will you buy these for like a hundred dollars? And I'm like, ah, I don't know. Like, I don't really know what to do with them. Like they're error cards, but you'd have to find a certain collector and collecting is already a, a niche as it, as itself. And then I'd have to find someone else to buy those. And I was just like, I think I'll pass. And he's like, he kind of got mad at me that I wouldn't buy them for him. I'm like, I don't know what to tell you, man. Like, he's like, do you want them for like $20 or anything? I'm like, I don't, I don't want them. <laughs> like, I just, I don't know what to do with them. Um, so that was like, yeah, that was probably one of the the funnier stories where someone kind of came in, pushed them in my face. I'm like, I'm okay. Thank you though. Wow. It's so interesting to me. You're, you've set up a shop and I didn't realize until you, you just telling us these stories right now, you're, you're, you've essentially become a dealer, like, like having a table at a show and like a clearinghouse. Everybody mm -hmm. knows your shop at least around the area. And they're going to be like, Hey, will you buy this? Will you buy this? Will you buy this? And you probably have yeah. to say no quite a bit, or at least strategically pick uh, and place your bets on, on things that are good to buy and, and so forth. Yeah. Like I've, I've bought a, you know, like Pokemon, when someone brings some Pokemon items in, like, I'm like, Hey, we'll kind of do a deal with you. We'll look up comps, go from there. I will say with Pokemon, there's a lot of fakes going around. So mm. I had, this is kind of like another story. We had one lady come in with a binder, probably like a huge binder. I'd say maybe 2000 Pokemon cards. And I was going through them and I was like, something's off. Like every card if it was real would have been like a four or $500 card. Like every card was like, um, it was a Latios Latios card, which is just a huge Pokemon card right now. She had like 10 of them. I'm like, this is off. Like you have like just in a binder. Yeah. Just in yeah. a regular binder. Yeah. And so hmm. luckily that day, one of my huge Pokemon collectors was there and he plays the game. His name's Adam. He plays the game. Um, like almost professionally he's gone to like worlds for pokemon he's awesome and he's like i don't think these are real and so we looked them up and all the cards had this like weird metallic face and we came to realize that all 2000 of those cards were fake and they were bought off like ebay or no not ebay sorry amazon and since then i've had like five other people come in with these same fake pokemon cards which is pretty incredible and i don't really know where they're coming from but two of the people set off amazon so i don't know i guess that's maybe a psa to people don't buy pokemon cards off uh amazon and you gotta be like your own third-party authenticator like on the spot i mean at least you're like rick from pawn stars you got a guy you know like your pokemon guy was there thankfully um but it's just crazy. Or like if you get an 86 Fleer, you better hope I'm there, you know, that type of thing. Oh my God. Yeah. If I see a Jordan card, you're the first person I'm calling. <laughs> uh, that's I wild. What I would do if it was like fake, right? Like you buy a, say a thousand, three, five thousand dollar card and it ends up being fake. Like that's, that's scary, scary. Um, 
but I've definitely learned my lesson from those Pokemon cards that were fake. Like don't buy anything until you know for a hundred percent fact that they're real. So I mm-hmm. guess that was a good learning lesson for us. That's a great lesson for the audience too. Yeah. Just don't, don't just buy random stuff off of Amazon like that. Oh yeah, yeah please don't. <laughs> I'm more thinking of how, in, how to prevent that from going further too. Do you keep in contact with any other local card shops and maybe give them a warning of, Hey, this lady, like give her description. She might come into your shop with a, with a huge binder. Stay away. Yeah. I mean, I probably should. I mean, I, I would assume there's only other, the other card shop I believe is about 30, 40 minutes away. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's definitely something I should be saying, Hey, like watch out for these. Cause I mean, the biggest thing I tell everyone when I see them, I'm like, Hey, this is fake. Please take it out of your binder. If you're going to keep it, just put it somewhere or have something that says this is fake. So they don't accumulate in the area. And that's the scary thing too, is kids and trading Pokemon cards. I mean, for me, I'm, I'm 23. When I was 10, 12 years old, I was trading Pokemon cards. Whenever I get like a cool card and my friend had other cool cards, we would trade them. So the scary thing is, is what happens when some kid gets a $300 like alternate art card and they trade it for a fake Pokemon card. That's what I'm really afraid of. And that's why whenever someone comes in with fake ones, I'm like, Hey, like get this thing out of here. Yeah. yeah. You gotta, you gotta protect the kids. You know, they're the future of the hobby and that could be something where they get burned on a card now, like my son at the age of eight and he's done. He might just be done collecting like forever, you know? So it's, yeah. uh, it's, it's like the right thing to do. You should always do a kid a solid free pack here and there, you know, like, um, or just protect them from, from stuff like that. It's crazy. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. And that's, I think something that um, everyone that does collect even sports cards too, just like do your research and mm. just kind of have that backbone to where if something is wrong, know it's wrong and don't buy it. So Matt, I've had a, uh, a crazy story. I was just thinking along the lines of like, grading and kind of um going through all of that with authentication you've got this crazy babe ruth card story i know it's been in your family for a while you you told me but just for the audience and for lz um i figured you can kind of tell that story yeah so my dad he bought a 1933 gaudi babe ruth it's uh it's 181 so it's the green one and he bought the babe ruth this was 20 25 years ago i don't even know if i was born but he was at an auction in Arlington. There used to be a huge auction in Arlington, Massachusetts. And he bought the card for $2,000. Um, this was maybe early 2000s, late 90s. And he bought the card, put it away in a safe. And for 20 years, he wouldn't touch it. People offered him like a couple thousand dollars throughout the years. And he was like, no, nah, nah, I'm okay. And so when we first started the shop, I'm like, hey, dad, you need to grade this card because it was ungraded, which was was big, right? It's a card from the 30s and it's ungraded. You kind of have to grade it. And so we went to a big card show at Fenway Park. Uh, or no, so, yeah, Fenway Park. This was the first Fenway show that Card Vault did. And we brought it to four different people. One person being a guy from Golden Auctions and then two or three other people from Cardville and then another um, big card chain. And every person at the card show said it was fake. Every oh. person. 
every person was like, Hey, like, I'm sorry to tell you, this is fake. Um, one of the person, one person that we brought it to, he was supposed to be the biggest vintage collector in the area. And he even said it was fake. So that day, my dad was heartbroken, disgruntled. He's like, Oh man, this is crazy. And I was like, dad, like, you know what? Like, don't worry about it. Maybe we'll like try to grade it, see what happens. So a week, a week goes by. I'm like, dad, send the card out, see what happens. And so he really didn't want to send it out, but I just took it and I sent it to SGC and I could have sent it to PSA SGC. Uh, the turnaround times for SGC were a little bit better at the time. So send it to them. I was like, ah, we'll see what happens. A week goes by and crazy enough. I got a call from an SGC grader and it, were, it was a, a phone number from like Florida. I'm like, who's calling me from Florida? I answer. He's like, Hey, I just want to let you know that you just got upcharged on your card. I was like, what do you mean upcharged? He's like, yeah, you're Babe Ruth. It's graded. And I was like, it's real. Oh. Like, you're saying it's real. He's <laughs> yes. like, yeah, it's, it's yes. real. And it, and it got a five. And I was like, Oh my God. Like, cause a five puts it at like a $20,000 mark, maybe less, maybe more. Mm. And he was like, yeah, but we had to end up, he ended up bumping it up like an extra $500 for the grading fee. But I was like, I don't care. Like, that's awesome. And I called my dad that day and he was the happiest human being on earth. And it just shows like, always go with your gut. Like Mm -hmm. there's a lot of people who know a lot of stuff in this hobby, but trust your gut. Cause sometimes the most knowledgeable people might not know everything. So what was was the original, what what was the original fee going to be too on that? $500. And we priced it. I mean, we thought it was like maybe $10,000, but the five put it over like the $20,000 mark because there was a PSA, a PSA five that sold for 26,000 at that time. Mm. And so with that comp, they said like, Hey, it's going to be a little bit more. So they ended up charging us a thousand dollars for it. Okay. All right. Well, sometimes it's worth the risk, right? Perfect example. Yeah, definitely worth the risk. Great story. Yeah. Even the, the craziest part is like, a lot of people said it was fake and just to be able to get that and be like, it's real. It's, yeah. it's a good feeling. <laughs> Did you guys end up selling it? No. So my dad okay. still has it. He's, I don't think he'll end up ever selling it, but yeah, that, we'll that see what happens. One. I mean, he, he loves the card and he has his two big cards. He doesn't have any other like crazy big ones, but he does have a, a caramel Honus Wagner. Uh, it's a one and, it's in pretty tough condition, but it sells for right around like four or 5,000. That's another cool card in his, in his little inventory. Nice. Yeah. Very cool story. Um, going back to the shop, especially, you know, you described when you first started, you had this small like, kind of closet, you put a wall down, you bought that lot of uh, cards. I'm sure you tried to sell a lot of those. But the other thing that you guys need to do is just start buying inventory with with boxes, right? Yes. I've heard that when you start out in a shop, you don't necessarily get the license to go and start buying hobby boxes. Sometimes that can take a while. Can you talk? Can you just tell us a story around that? Like, was it easy for you guys? Was it difficult? Any hurdles? Yeah. So right off the bat, I will say right now in the hobby, it's really really hard for hobby stores. I, mm. I will just say that in confidence, if you're starting a hobby store, 
just know it, there's going to be some trials and tribulations with distributors. So we went through, um, it's called magazine exchange. They're a distributor out of Oregon in on the West coast. That's our top distributor and they're thousands of miles away. Um, basically what happens, right? So we put in an application, Hey, we're a hobby store. We have our wholesale license. We want to buy from you guys to resell. And that's great. But the thing is, is with, the, with having a middleman, these distributors, we don't get good, that good of prices. It's wholesale, but the big like gains for us are when we get allocations and allocations, you only get so many. So, and to get those allocations, you have to spend tens of thousands of dollars with these middlemen distributors. And so Basically, I went out and I got three or four, and now I have Southern Hobby, which is a great distributor, and then Magazine Exchange. But we've had to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars just to be able to get some allocations. And so what a lot of people don't know, and I try to tell as many people as I can, if you're going to start a hobby shop, be ready to spend a little bit of money because, right, so let's say mosaic football just came out. I get that box for only 300, three, maybe 350. They only sell for like $400. The markup isn't really there. And if I were to get on allocation though, which we only get like two or three boxes, it would be only like a hundred, $150. And that's where we could make our money. But these distributors only give you a couple. So what, so uh, what, what exactly does allocation mean from what you're describing? It sounds like it means like you almost get to buy it direct from the manufacturer in a way, right? Is that yeah, what that exactly. means? So, okay. so the allocation, right? So I don't, I'm not a like genius on this topic, but mm -hmm. the way I see it, right? So each distributor gets say 30 cases of a of product and then they allocate out maybe 10 or 15 of those cases to their top customers, um, top people who are spending, you know, like backyard breaks who probably spend a million dollars a month. Um, they get those boxes and because they're spending so much, they'll get five of those allocated boxes and the rest are kind of distributed out to us hobby stores or breakers. And, and then the rest, these middlemen then upcharge it to the wholesale price which isn't really wholesale there it's $300 or $350 and then it comes to me and I have to mark it up a little bit and that's the little bit of profit that I make whereas the allocations we're starting to build it up so we get we've been getting more allocation but it's hard to come by like really hard to come by gosh this reminds me of um you know, liquor stores, and it's very similar. The amount of alcohol that they can run through or sell gets them, you know, this nice, cool sign that's worth $1,000 or this neon sign outdoors that they can put on. Um, it's almost like these like points or credits or whatever. Um, you know, it's, it's every industry has its racket, I suppose. So it, it seems a lot like that. It's crazy. Yeah, it's, it's tough. I mean, I, I'm not allowed to like say the exact price oh, yeah, everything, yeah. everything sure. for, but like, yeah. um, that's like kind of the makeup of the industry right now. And I mean, we're hoping that sooner or later we'll get like a direct account with Panini yeah. or Tops 
that's the ultimate goal. But right now it's, it's tough. And I, I tell this story because anyone who wants to start a card shop, like many people wouldn't know that. And there's not a lot of information out there about allocation. No, I just learned something right now. I thought, I thought you just went direct. (laughs) I really did. I didn't realize that you had to go through a distributor. Yeah. Like, yeah. Even if I wanted to a wholesaler. Yeah. I've, I've like emailed Panini and tops about a zillion times and Mm. I haven't gotten anything back from them. So it's, it's kind of cutthroat right now. Do you have it like on your roadmap, like what it's going to take for you eventually to get to direct? Like, do you have like a number in mind of like your purchase spend that you're going to need to get to? And we're going to try to do that in five years type roadmap or anything. So like, honestly, there really, (laughs) that's another thing. There really is no roadmap. Like, Ah. I mean, it's just all about, I think making connections in the hobby. Right. So Mm. Hopefully one day I meet someone from Panini or Tops that's like, hey, we'll hook you up. Like we've heard your story on this podcast or we've seen you at these card shows. That's probably the best way I'm going to end up hopefully getting a direct account. But it's it's pretty tough. So I, I always I always try to tell this story to anyone who's like, oh, I might open a card shop. I might do this. I'm like, be ready to kind of get your feet wet and spending. Cause it's not that it's pretty tough. Um, but we've, it, it's taken a long time, but now we're starting to get these allocations where finally, you know, we're, we're getting a lot of boxes allocated and hopefully soon enough, we'll be doing more online on like whatnot. And that will help out as well. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That's interesting. I just thought that you, you know, you put up a shingle, you open up the card shop, you call up tops, you get as many boxes as you want and you sell them for a specific margin and you move on with your day. So um, I guess it's a lot more complex than that. It's, it sounds like the wild west, really. That's some really yeah. cool insight. I, I I thought I really knew it was going on and I, I'm pretty clueless. So, yeah, I mean, the tough part is, is with breakers right now, right? Like I go through, you know, a case of uh like a case of like tops baseball update or whatever and maybe like two or three weeks these breakers online are going through 10 cases a day and so that hurts us these Mm -hmm. hobby stores because we can't do that type of numbers like maybe if we start a whatnot channel we're able to do that but it's like we we can't do that like 10 cases like well we we can't do that and but there's people out there who can and that's why all these breakers are tailored towards these distributors who like, Hey, they, they're killing it. Oh, we'll send them three cases on allocation where all oh, this hobby shop only does this small amount. They'll get like one box from the case. So it's, it's all starting to come together here. Yeah. It's all <laughs> starting. I'm starting to understand it a bit more. Like even the hobby shops that like want to get into breaking. It's like, I thought they just wanted to get into breaking to like, you know, have a, a different way of, of, of selling and maybe some content, but it's like, Ooh, no, that ain't right. No. All right. It's another good way of kind of, you know, ramping that up so you can get better deals with, uh, with these card companies. It's very interesting. Okay. Yeah, it is. It's yeah. a interesting. And I think it will start to evolve, um, the next year or two with this whole Panini and fanatics thing that's going on. I, it'll be interesting to see, um, what ends up happening with maybe they get rid of these middlemen distributors who, mm. who really knows. Wow. Um, 
you'd mentioned just a, a bit on customers coming in, what they're interested in, especially at the beginning, right? With just some of the players. What are their interests right now, other than the players, right? Like, what what are customers coming in and asking for? Is it is it really just these packs, these hobby packs? Maybe they want to do some breaks of their own. Um, where where do you see it going right now? I think right now the big thing is is hot like hobby packs. Kids love them, like mm-hmm. especially like the little blaster boxes. I I do actually want to touch on that really quick. The retail thing, like so, say a box of mosaic blaster we can't get those direct. Those are coming from Target or like all these other places. So that's the tough part also, I wanted to mention this, is a hobby store like me, I'm not getting those boxes for $10 and then selling them for 25. That's like Target and all these big chains who they don't care about sports cards. They're just like, oh, it's just more money to take in. But there are these big chains that can do that but the kids love the packs they love the blasters they don't have two three hundred dollars to spend on hobby boxes but like i i'm only able to really get those boxes for you know like i can only sell them for 30 40 dollars whereas they could go to target and get them for 25 so that's another thing that's hurting hobby shops and the hobby as well i did want to mention that no that's that's eye-opening as well Mm -hmm. so if you're going to sell a blaster box you have to what, like go on eBay and try to like grab them for cheaper? Or are you literally going to go to like Target and try to scoop up a few of them to throw in your store? Yeah, I mean, we don't, I mean, like normally we'll just try to like go on eBay or like sometimes our distributor will get some, but it's like, I mean, yeah, like sometimes like you got to just go to Target and see what's out there because Target and these big consumers, they can go through 10 cases of blasters and they're making a bunch of money. Panini's happy and Target's happy, but mm. we can't do that. So that's why we're not getting blasters or the retail. This but the is, retail is insane. tailored towards the kids. <laughs> I, I can't believe this. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, me and Nick talk a lot about how it's really, really important to get kids involved in the hobby. And you want these kids showing up to your hobby shop, to your point, to hang out, to maybe watch a game, to do some breaks, to be part of that experience. But if they can't buy a cheap blaster box and they can only buy hobby packs from you, they're going to have to be mowing a few more lawns yeah. to do that. Wow. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Like like you just said, like um, if they want to come in, yeah, they could buy a couple retail packs and like that's good and all. But the, the best part is this community that we're trying to create. Um, and like I said, so we had, I talked about earlier how we had a small, like little closet, we ended up expanding. Now we have a huge table in the middle where everyone sits down, talks, trades, buys, sells these 10 year olds are coming in with their briefcase Zion cases. Love it. Like it's the best part, Yeah. but the only way that this hobby is going to grow. And I hear about like fanatics saying 10 Xing the hobby and all this you got to help out the hobby shops before any of that's going to happen. That's, Mm. that's definitely for sure. I was under the assumption that you literally just logged in to like a tops portal, ordered 25 hobby boxes for, I'm sorry, retail boxes, hobby, whatever you wanted for a reasonable price and then sold them. I had no idea that you have to stock your store by going on eBay 
or going to Target, just like a, like me, like a consumer. That is wild. That is unbelievable. Yeah. And it's it's tough because like, right? So say we want to sell some, I don't know, mosaic football blasters. We have to mark those up. So kids are having to spend $30, $40. And Target usually or like these big chains, they get ransacked. Like there's usually never yeah. anything available. But mm-hmm. still, it's like it's unfair to everyone else that we have to like we have to make a profit, like keep ourselves in business, but we also don't want to be spending, making people spend this much. Um, right. Interesting. So yeah. But I mean, that's the best part about it is like you were talking about earlier. Um, The kids and everyone, they love the hobby boxes and the, the packs. Like yeah, some people have hit pretty, pretty big cards in our store. Like a week or two ago, someone hit a gold kaboom out of a hobby box of Keegan Murray, which he ended up grading it, came back at 10, sold it for $6,000. Like oh. that's the stuff we, we love. This is a kid? Was it yeah, a how, kid? How old was he? So it was actually one of my, he was my personal trainer. Um, I'm a, I'm a goalie in hockey. Um, he used to train me and okay. he came in with his son, his little son. He loves Pokemon, but he's like, I want to open a, a hobby box. And they got a Crown Royale basketball hobby box and they opened it. And the little kid, he was like, uh, his name is Roman. I think he's eight years old. Um, but he he opened up the back and it was gold. And I was like, oh, my God, like, yeah. put the card down. Like, don't touch it. Because <laughs> it was a huge, huge hit. Oh, wow. that's great. That's really but cool. But that's a memory he'll have the rest of his life is getting mm-hmm. that, that gold kaboom. Like, that's, that's the stuff I love. So, Matt, I know uh, personally – that you kicked off a card show this year because um, I went to it and it was pretty cool. Uh, it was a nice local show. I was wondering if you could talk to us a little bit about what putting that together was like. You know, if you can get into the economics of it, great. If not, at least just, you know, what was it like getting a venue and and finding people to, to set up and and finding people to come, come to the show? Yeah, so I mean, uh, I've talked about it a lot, like, creating a community right we have a bunch of people who are coming in especially on weekends like buying selling trading but we wanted a bigger space and we couldn't do that at our store because we're still smaller so my dad had the idea of oh let's open this up to kind of like the public and uh grab a space where everyone can kind of buy sell trade and well vendors and i was like yeah like let's do it and so last was it yeah this past summer um, I was still in Maryland. So I, I used to go to college uh, at Stevenson University in Maryland. And my dad was like, hey, let's try to do this in next month. And I was coordinating, calling people. Some of my collectors I was like, hey, do you want to do a vending table? Um, I was calling like big, big uh, people in the area. Hey, do you want to do vendor tables? Some of them said yes. Some of them said no. But I ended up getting about 20 tables, uh, v- vendor tables. Um and we already had a huge community base. So we told all of our customers, hey, come to the card show and see how it goes. And we ended up having a great event. Um, it wasn't like a huge like card show that you see at like the National or like Chantilly. But it was good to, you know, have everyone together and kids can go buy, sell, trade. Like um, that's the best part about it. And even the vendors ended up selling a lot of stuff. So it ended up being pretty good. Are you going to continue to do them? When's the next one? So we're going to probably wait just right now. A lot of the card shows are 
very top heavy in the area so Mm -hmm. in the next like three weeks there's the um what is it the shriner show there's the card vault um gillette show Mm -hmm. there's one in mohegan sun i think this weekend so it's very top heavy right now so we'll probably wait maybe around christmas time to do another one um but right now like we just don't want to start a show and no one comes like that would be kind of scary so we're kind of holding off until um all the big ones are kind of done and people are you know ready to come to like say a smaller one because to be honest like even me like i think i'd personally rather go to the gillette show than come to my own show on like a saturday like i'd rather be at gillette stadium like i'm a kid at heart yeah i don't blame you but yeah i I mean yeah the card shows are awesome i mean i I personally, I tell everyone, like, you can make a lot of money at card shows. Like, I I still follow, like, uh, Card Collector 2. I don't know if you guys follow him. A mm-hmm. um, bunch of other YouTube uh, influencers. And they all, like, buy cards at card shows and then grade them or trade them, flip them. Like, it's a great way to make money. I, I tell this story um, to all my, like, little kids who come in. I'm like, if you're going to go to a card show study say 10 cards right go on ebay look at what a psa 10 looks like i tell all my kids this i'm like go look at a psa 10 trevor lawrence card uh optic whatever it is i'm like study that card see what it looks like and then go to a show and try to find a raw one and i bet you can get that card for say 20 dollars, 30 dollars, and go and grade it or start a pile of cards you're like oh this is a 10 this is a 10 and um, cause that's what I do personally is I, mm-hmm. I just personally graded a Trevor Lawrence at a 25 blue disco rookie. And I bought it for like 300 and a couple other cards. And I was like, Oh, this card's a 10. Like this looks perfectly centered. I, it was a card I really wanted. I ended up grading it, came back a 10 and now I can sell that card for like 1300. Nice. So I, I always tell that little story too, for my, my kid collectors. Cause if you have an idea in your head and you're you go for it, you can do a lot of good things at card shows, especially mm-hmm. these people who are like buying and flipping cards. This is great advice. Uh, and for the audience too, this doesn't have, you don't have to shoot for a 10 and it doesn't have to be a modern card. Like I've had many times, I've been to the Shriners show, which is about a 300 table show uh, here in Massachusetts. I, I got a Bob Cousy card, 1961 um, raw, which means not graded. I think I, mm-hmm. I spent a few hundred bucks on it, uh, got him to sign it, graded it. Bam. It was like a, like a five, which for 1961 is bonkers. I think there's one higher graded card that's signed by him in the population. Just happened to be at the show, got the right card, the right deal. Um, so yeah, do your research and you can, you can definitely print a few grand out of thin air, um, really across any cards, modern, vintage, whatever. So great. Yeah, don't be, don't be afraid to look in those boxes where the, uh, where the, where the wax is, right. Don't always focus on the shiny slabs, <laughs> right. Honestly, yeah, that's, that's where you can find some of these gems. Um, that's great. That's great. All right. Um, getting close to wrapping up here, Matt. Um, we, we ask a couple questions to, to most of our guests. Um, let's actually stick on kind of, you've already given some advice and it sounds like you try to give a lot of advice to, to kids. Um, let's say, uh, you're talking to a teenager and they have a thousand dollars. They've been saving up, they mowed lawns all summer. They got a thousand dollars and they want to put it into the hobby. What would you recommend that they do with that thousand dollars? 
So I always talk about, so I, I, I am a college student, so I do a lot of finance. Um, that's probably what I'll end up doing. Um, so one of the strategies, this is my personal strategy is the three horizon approach. You've probably heard it in finance, but I apply it to sports cards. And the first horizon is buy an old card, like vintage doesn't matter what year or whatever, put a hundred dollars into like a Mickey Mantle PSA one or two, or, um, or even if it's ungraded, first thing you do buy vintage, because no matter what, it's steadily going to go up. Like there's already that consumer base. Um, first thing you do is just buy that. Um, the second is invest in someone that you love. You love watching someone who might be volatile, might go up, might go down, but it's fun because even if say he does not do well, like Tatum or Luca, you still have that backbone of that vintage card. That's going to steadily go up. So you buy someone that's you like watching. Um, so buy like say two or three cards that you love uh, guys. You like watching Tatum. I personally invest in Dawson Mercer. He's a New Jersey Devils player, um, but I love watching him play. And I bought his PSA 10 rookie card for like 20 bucks. It goes for like, I think 80 or $90. So that's like another card I like doing. And then the third is the gamble, right? So that's where I'm like, all right, so you got your old card, you got some cards you want to watch, see what happens, Trevor Lawrence, whatever those guys. And the third is buy a hobby box. I, I, some people might disagree with me, um, but it's a great way to one, start your collection Two, it's the gamble, right? So that's the third horizon where it might just drop, but you have the chance to hit something pretty good. Um, like I personally, last year I pulled a Cade Cunningham one of one autograph rookie. And now that card he just dropped 30 points last night. So fingers crossed he keeps playing well, but that, that card now is near to dear to me. And I used to never watch basketball, but now I'm a Cade Cunningham Detroit Pistons fan. So like, that's, it's, that's the fun of it is that's the gamble part that I love. And um, a lot of kids like it too. Like, Oh, the thrill of opening a box. So you have your old card, you have the cards that are, you know, semi-volatile, but they're still good players. You know, they're going to play well um, and they're going to go up over the years, hopefully. And then the third is that gamble is the, is the fun of it. Right. So, you know, you already have a backbone in those two other three other cards, go g- grab a hobby box, see what happens. Yeah. Matt, you just taught a, you just taught a finance class and uh, collecting. <laughs> I, I love, yeah, love it. I love it. I could see I, when you mentioned the three horizons, I looked at Nick's face and I think he shed a tear. When, when you said that, he's, he's, we, we love it. We love that. I was that. very that's, impressed. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> uh, it's great advice. And like, there was some fun in there too, which I think is important, you know? Um, yeah. Why this, else are we doing this? If this not is a fun? hobby, right? Yeah. right? This mm-hmm. is supposed to be fun. Uh, it doesn't all have to be work and flipping and finance. So um, yeah, great advice. So Matt, we got one final question. We ask everybody this, um, call it the coffee question. So if you could sit down and have a coffee with any sports figure, dead or alive, who would it be and why? Um, for me, it would probably be Martin Brodeur. Um, he was a Devils Hall of Famer, probably the best goalie of all time. Um, 
I'm personally a hockey goalie. Um, I sadly just ended my hockey career. I tore my labrum and my hip. So um, I'm going to have to get surgery on that. So that kind of ended my hockey career. But growing up, I was always a, a goalie and a, a Devils fan at heart, which is kind of funny to say because I'm from Boston. Um, but as I grew up, I always watched Martin Brodeur and just the way he played, he he could stack the pads, make a backdoor glove save and then go take the puck and score in the other net like he he was just this perfect goaltender um so I always say like I would love to grab a coffee with him because he's he was unbelievable probably the best goalie of all time and I I idolized him growing up and I always wore number 30 because of him and to this day I, I still would love to meet him at some point very cool very cool the first hockey that's the first hockey one Nick um, yeah yeah LZ I think so yeah, we have a friend of the pod, cousin Eddie. He's a huge hockey guy. I think he's going to be happy to see, happy to hear a hockey uh, player get mentioned. So yes, he is excellent, <laughs> excellent. Um, all right, Matt. Thank you. Th- this has been really eye opening for me. I think uh, me as well. Yeah mm-hmm. the the operational part of this was very surprising. Um, just everything that you've had to go through, some of the crazy stories, but all just just like sourcing product and. Um, and just going through that. I mean, I think a lot of people, they have a dream, like, Oh, open a card shop. They'd be like the funnest thing in the world, but they don't realize like the work negotiations, connections you need to have to make it successful. Um, but it sounds like it's going really well. So, so thank you. Um, where, where can people find your shop and where can they find you online if they want to reach out? So we're located in Plymouth, Massachusetts. Um, it's right off or like right off the highway and about three minutes from Whitehorse beach, as, as you know. Um, and then also on social media, we have, we're basically on every platform, Instagram, we're at five lanes cards. Uh, same thing with Facebook. Um, we're, we have a whatnot channel. Um, we we've only streamed like five or six times, but something we try to build up same thing, five lanes cards. And then also my email, is five lanes cards at gmail.com um if anyone has any questions i'd love talking and just kind of going through what i've been through what i know if anyone has any questions the audience i'd I'd love to help out in any way i can great well thanks again matt i'm sure they will reach out this has been great thank you well thanks Thanks, matt guys looking looking forward to just following your shop and you know much success all the success to you guys and um Keep keep me and Nick abreast to when you're going to uh, have that next show, and we'll make sure we're in attendance. All right. Well, that sounds great to me. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for having me, and I uh, look forward to listening to all your podcasts and maybe jumping on in two or three years as we continue to grow and as you guys grow. Sounds good. Excellent. Thanks, Matt. All right, everyone. That was another episode of Sports Card Madness. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, pretty much wherever you get your podcasts. If you like this episode, please take a few seconds and subscribe wherever you get them, and uh, we'll keep them coming. Mm